0: Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone
1: Canon, Reads, A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 192, Melisandra 1, In a Dance with Dragons.
0: I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, we are here with one hit wonder, Melanie, Lot 7, stage name, Melisandra.
1: Oh my god. Mel to the tune of Alejandro. Ooh. Uh, Yeah, this is so good you only need one, right? Well, maybe not. I mean, I'd like more. Well,
0: I don't think that's true. I think that we would definitely (laughs) like a few more tracks, but I don't know. Something happened. I don't know. Songwriter
1: fallout. Songwriter fallout. Yeah. Well, that one name thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You know how those one named artists are. Talented, but divas. (laughs) i like that we have come to melisandra after aaron i I liked it when we decided it long long ago many years ago but i also really like it this time through i really can see why we chose it i can feel why we chose it i feel very connected to us from 2017 (laughs) right now those girls whoever they were and coming off of the forsaken which we did just talk about the Forsaken and the Winds of Winter for patrons that are in the Stranger tier and above that is out at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. But coming off of the Forsaken especially, I am foreshook for at this shocking. chapter.
0: <sighs> yes, absolutely. I mean, we had always planned to do Aaron and Melisandra together. And uh that that's actually true about all of our reading order. That's not actually anything special. We do that for all of our reading order. It was all pre-planned. But yes, the two go together really well, and we're gonna talk a little bit about a lot of other people have articulated well why, but you have those aspects of faith, those aspects of being tested, things like that running throughout both.
1: Yeah. Trauma and abuse that we'll talk about, all the good stuff.
0: Is it? Uh
1: well before we jump into Melisandra, a couple notes up top. Like we said, check out the Forsaken in the Winds of Winner at our Patreon now if you're in that stranger tier and above. It was a fun episode. I enjoyed it. Coming this month, we will have a new bonus episode for those patrons to be announced, so keep your ears peeled.
0: We have this month, as we do every month, our Discord brunch slash happy hour. And this month is on July 22nd. That's a Saturday at 3 p.m. ET. And as always, this is open to our patrons in the Thunder tier and above, who not only get access to our brunch slash happy hours, but to our... Discord channel in general where there's lots of fun shenanigans and of course Chloe's read through of the verse <laughs> lately and most recently watching the second season of Shadow and Bone
1: Yeah those notes are a treat They if are If you want to jump on that private Discord server please become a patron because <sighs> ooh boy ooh boy did I watch season 2 this past week ooh boy I don't know if there is a season three, if I shall be up for the task, but we will find out.
0: Yeah, sure. I was questioning my reality during that season. I was like, am I crazy? Is this is this really different?
1: There was one episode that made me go, okay, I'll stick it out. And then I like watched the next episode and I was like, why did I say that? Why did I say that? Uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's media. It's been all right. There's definitely some fun stuff. We had some fun wedding drunk stories going on of people that have maybe imbibed with the booze in the hall before and had a time at a wedding th- today and that was a very fun time in the random channel we were all thinking of times we've behaved like idiots love that for us um, <sighs> the discord is truly full of so much flavor come on by come on by and discord is fun and you know what else is fun another passion project of ours that we've gotten to explore Outside of A Song of Ice and Fire, this has kind of been a blast. We've been covering Sailor Moon Crystal season by season. We just wrapped up season two. We covered it in one episode with Chika from the Shoujo Sunday podcast, and it should be out now at the time of you listening to this episode. So go enjoy it. That's up for everybody on all of our feeds. We will be back at the end of the month, hopefully with Sailor Moon Crystal season three.
0: Yeah, and by the time that comes out, so will the Sailor Cosmos movie that will already be internationally released. Yeah, good timing to
1: brush up and get ready to enjoy it. Yeah,
0: Sailor Moon, the song of ice and fire and thunder and love and time and crystal. Oh, I was just going through all the elements of the century. Oh. I see. Get it? I see. see Makes more sense. Do you see it now?
1: Uh, that's when the the fire nation attacked
0: well you know what you need to see eyes
1: <laughs> oh the, my gosh
0: that's the segue that's the segue
1: eliana we have a new pov and i think that you should introduce it with a quote yes what happens what happens after we finish a pov so melisandra is a one-off that means there's another POV next. We just hit, like, three POVs in a month and a half span. And I want to warn you, this one is, uh... We're, we're gonna repace. Get ready to repace everyone listening at home. In fact, the POVs that we do have left, before we tell you the new POV, we still have characters like John Connington, uh-huh. the Epilogues, Tyrion, Danny, Arya, Cersei. Uh, we still have a lot of POVs left. Chunky, Chunky, thick POVs. But this one, this one is definitely going to take us a little bit. And I think, Eliana, you have to read us in with this quote. So, everyone at home. Why is
0: this the quote we picked?
1: (laughs) This is my segue, Eliana. This is a segue by me. If you don't respect it, get out.
0: I, I still don't even understand this quote from the show. Anyways, brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes, eyes you'll shut forever. We will meet again
1: because this is a podcast that covers the books that George R R Martin yeah, he based wrote after on the show came out
0: please remember that that's how it works
1: <laughs> i'm sorry i had to I, I just wanted to get my trolling in yes it's true it's very true we are covering arya stark next we are covering an acolyte if you will of another magic maybe several magics and I'm actually pretty excited because we get to go all the way back to a Game of Thrones. Yeah,
0: I'm so excited to go back there. We haven't been to that part of the story in a long time. We spent a long time in Feast just now, like before Victorian. We did Brand storyline, and we were with Brand storyline for quite a long time because that's the nature of how stories work. But and I'm I'm just really excited. I think that there's a lot to discuss in Arya's story, and there's a lot that also really connects it with. Alessandra, and all I have to say is, Arya, ready.
1: Oh. My god. Yep, a lot to connect them together, none of which are the quote I made you read, so thank you again for doing that. Everyone, look forward to Arya for the immediate future, the long-term future, basically the future.
0: In your flames, she is the great girl on the dying horse for all of you, <laughs> if you think about it.
1: We're going to have a blast with Arya Stark, but before we go gray, we're going to go red, right? We're going to stay red for a little bit, so see you next time for Arya 1 in A Game of Thrones. But today, we are going to continue talking about Melisandre 1 in A Dance with Dragons. And we're going to start in our lightning round today, and folks, I want you to know at home that I almost said let's forego the lightning round, because a lot of Melisandre's background is in her chapter. And a lot is inferred from information we know about Ashai, and information we know from Davos's chapters, which is slanted, or Crescent's, which is slanted. So I almost said no lightning round. However, I was inspired at the last moment and I wanted to bring those inferences to the front and talk a little bit about Ashai, right? Where Melisandre is a national treasure of, according to Eliana, and, and me. Ashai is a port city. It's mysterious. It's made of black stone that drinks light. I think we know what black stone that is. It's in the far southeast of Essos, where the Ash River and the Jade Sea meet, called the Saffron Straits. It lives on the southern edge of the Shadowlands, and it's often called shy by the Shadow, near the city of the Night, Stigai, where only Shadowbinders can travel.
0: It's a popular destination for trade- exporting amber, dragon glass, gold, gems, but it's not often traveled to by Westeros. All of its food and water are imported, and the fish that dwell in its waters are deformed, but I don't know, are they deformed, or maybe they just look like that? Who knows? In the world of ice and fire, it's said that only fools and shadow binders eat the flesh of these fish. I actually read this section. And allegedly, there's no children.
1: Yeah. Interesting on that yeah, fish, by I
0: the way. Yeah, I find the fish really interesting because I'm just like, if they're all deformed, is that not just like the fish form like that's just naturally how they are
1: and then i'm like if only fools and shadow binders eat it does that mean shadow binders get their powers a la like spider-man from these fish that's what i'm wondering i'm like do they eat the fish and it gives them more power because they're radioactive or something
0: that's a good question because now i'm like maybe it's not so foolish to eat the fish
1: anyways yes no children <laughs> the people of a shy podcast wear masks or veils <laughs> They often walk or ride in palanquins on the back of slaves.
0: Yeah, the origins of shy are lost in history, and maesters can't really pinpoint what's real or not either. Texts from the city often speak of shy going back to the Dawn Age, and even cover Azor Ahai's life during the Long Night, claiming he will come again. They also claim the first dragons came from here.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really what we have on Ashai. We don't have... We have a little other history on it, but we really don't have much.
0: Yeah. I found,
1: sh- I guess, like shadow binding in general, we have very limited information on, right? From the books. That's uh, true,
0: actually. Yeah.
1: It's kind of a lot of puzzle pieces between Melisandre's one chapter and what we get in the story from rumors of a shy, and then what we hear of just bits of history from a shy. So. Very, very interesting to bring it to the fold before we talk, Mel.
0: I don't know if you remember this, and I I also don't remember it verbatim anymore, but we did get confirmed in one of the So Spake Martins that we would, in fact, see a shy one day in in the story, and not necessarily that we would go there, it could be through a character's Mm -hmm. memories or something like that, so that will happen one day.
1: So metal, so cool. I bet it'll be through Mel.
0: Yeah, or, I mean... I I know people have theorized that Daenerys would go there one day, and I don't know, maybe that was like the plan in a previous version of the story until George looked down one day and was like, oh my god, I have to get these books out one day.
1: I mean, how is she going to get to Westeros at this point, Eliana? God, stop giving her a tour.
0: On Dragonback, just like how Arya's going to get back to Westeros on a boat, Chloe. Ah. Ah. (laughs) That's a reference to Chloe's love life, if you're out of the loop. (laughs) Deep cuts, deep cuts. Uh,
1: 2017 you had to be there so I was there. Eliana you you literally were just like with the forsaken. I'm so proud of you. It's an equal event.
0: <laughs> I've been there for some really big times in this fandom, you know.
1: <laughs> Eliana, you sent me a link to a story that you made me read and I want to hear you talk a little bit about this. Uh, <laughs> oftentimes in my life that's like what I say. I'm like, well, Eliana made me read this and But you did. You sent a story to me that I want you to kind of tell us about and your thoughts on it.
0: Yeah, one time I had been Googling the term succubus on Wikipedia, and they brought up this short story. As an example, it's by Tanith Lee. It's called The Demoness. I wouldn't necessarily say that it really has much of a plot or anything, and it kind of doesn't. But it does describe like this demoness who is driven by hunger. And that hunger is essentially, I don't know, like, this compulsion, I guess, that, that forces men into intercourse with her and then sucks the life out of them or, like, you know, takes their sanity, their consciousness. Nice. <laughs> and then one day one of them gets away and then she, like, I don't know, chases him down to the ends of the earth and she's described as being very pale with this, like, super, super long red hair. And I don't think that like George necessarily based the character of Melisandra on this this character, but I do think that there's a lot of shades here that you can see how it might have inspired George in the way that he depicts Melisandra, and of course, like the ways that that people kind of interpret her externally as this terrifying person or or even this terrifying creature as as we see in Davos's chapter. Davos does not does not love her. But She's she's not, like, evil or anything. This is just who she is. It's just her nature. And she doesn't eat, she doesn't sleep, she can just keep keep going, kind of Terminator-esque. But uh, I, I'm not saying that George, again, like, said, this is Melisandre. So much as, you know, he took bits and pieces of that into creating this character, uh, especially because... He and Tanneth Lee mm-hmm. are kind of contemporary writers to one another and and probably ran in a lot of the same circle.
1: What's so interesting about that is I was kind of thinking when I was sitting here before we got on, I was thinking about how like there really isn't a one-one comparison in literature or mythology mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Melisandra. She's not just a witch, she's not just a sorceress, she was a slave. She's not just a slave though, she's also a shadow binder, different yes. than just being a witch. Right, like being, and we'll talk about that today. But that's different. So, like, you can't really just say she's one character because she is all those bits. She's a little bit of mm. Cassandra. She's a little bit of Morgan Le Fay, Morgana. Right. Uh, she's a little bit of some of these famous witches, and, and she's a little bit of some of these like dark summoning characters that are able to bring shadow into the world in different stories too, which aren't necessarily feminine coded usually, and aren't necessarily slaves or witches always. So, I, I just thought it was really interesting so I was like, there's really nothing else I can deep dive read about today in a rabbit hole because I'm like, Melisandre is very genuinely just this authentic character that I, I don't see in other literature. Especially when you break her down, which we'll talk about when you get the first view at her from another character and then a second view at her from another character and the third view, her view, just breaks that veneer.
0: Especially because once you get her POV, you really start to understand that Melisandre, like, oh... She's really genuine in her belief and hopes, right? Mm-hmm. And you get the thing where yeah. people just kind of assume that she's only in it for the power, right? Which is what people tend to assume, or like with these people who or women who have magic, right? Or the or the ones that they accuse of having magic, we see that a lot throughout the series, and we've talked about it before. So let's jump into it. The first Melisandre chapter, and and the last one. I mean, maybe not the last one, but like. We just just don't have the other ones, okay? We just don't have them. Dance with Dragons, Melisandre 1. We learn that maybe Melisandre isn't so red and terrible and red.
1: Yes, we open in Melisandre's chambers with candles scattered everywhere and a hearth burning, keeping the night at bay. Her servants were always taught, never let the fire go
0: out. So on one hand, maybe not letting the fire go out is about hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, I do want to remind everyone that our friend Rowan did talk about Melisandra when she guessed it on the Nauticast podcast, and brought up this great point about how Melisandra's aversion to darkness speaks to a history of trauma there, and we are probably going to bring up Rowan's episode quite a few times and refer back to it in how we, we talk about Melisandra.
1: Yeah. And you can see how she kind of clings to the light in general because of that i think that's something we're going to delve into throughout this app we will link that below the not A Cast podcast
0: yep and something else that we're also going to link is our we're going to try not to retread too much of the same ground but we are going to bring up some points from when we did talk about Melisandre with our friend quinn over on his youtube channel quinn's ideas
1: we'll put that below too don't worry we'll get you there Melisandra prays to the fire, thinking she must be certain that many priests before her were brought down by false visions.
0: So something that I really love about this chapter is, speaking of people who are seen as magical and mysterious but very untrustworthy, you have a lot of language here that's reminiscent of Varies, right? Like mm-hmm. You have Melisandra talking about how she can see better than the other priests, she's not like the other red priests, because they only see what they want to see, which is... And you have really similar language in Varys's chapters where he talks about uh, men only seeing what they want to see as as part of what power is. And then you also have like this phrase of trappings of power, which ends up coming back at the end of this book in the that Varies reveal in the epilogue of dance. And then you also have these ideas of faith that are running through both Melisandre and Varys's stories. like. Melisandra's unshakable faith in R'hllor and her champion, right? Maybe that's how Varys feels about Aegon and the Blackfires.
1: Yeah, it actually almost makes me wish that we were doing JonCon next when you put it that mm. way. And talking about all this faith in false kings, it's a great parallel pulling out that falsehood of kings. Melisandra begs R'hllor to show her their king, Stannis, and then the flames melt in front of her. And I have to tell you guys, I left this entire passage in because you can't- She didn't even break up the paragraphs. No, it's so good. How could I? How could I? It's so good. It's beautiful. It's the best passage. Okay, I'm ready. Feeling mystical. I'm feeling about it. She saw the eyeless faces again, staring out at her from sockets weeping blood. Then the towers by the sea, crumbling as the dark tide came sweeping over them rising from the depths. Shadows in the shape of skulls, skulls that turned to mist, bodies locked together in lust, writhing and rolling and clawing. Through curtains of fire, great-winged shadows wheeled against a hard blue sky. The girl. I must find the girl again. The gray girl on the dying horse. John Snow would expect that of her. And soon. It would not be enough to say the girl was fleeing. He would want more. He would want the when and the where, and she did not have that for him. She had seen the girl only once, a girl as gray as ash, and even as I watched, she crumbled and blew away. A face took shape within the hearth. Stannis, she thought, for just a moment. But no, these were not his features. A wooden face, corpse white. Was this the enemy? A thousand red eyes floated in the rising flames. He sees me. Beside him, a boy with a wolf's face threw back his head and howled. The red priestess shuddered. Blood trickled down her thigh, black and smoking. The fire was inside her. An agony, an ecstasy filling her, searing her, transforming her. Shimmers of heat traced patterns on her skin, insistent as a lover's hand. Strange voices called to her from days long past.
0: Melanie!
1: She heard a woman cry. A man's voice called. "Lot Evan." She was weeping and her tears were flame, and still she drank it in. Snowflakes swirled from a dark sky and ashes rose to meet them, the gray and the white whirling around each other as flaming arrows arced above a wooden wall and dead things shambled silent through the cold. Beneath a great gray cliff where fires burned inside a hundred caves, then the wind rose and the white mist came sweeping in. Impossibly cold, and one by one the fires went out, Afterwards, only the skulls remained. Death, thought Melisandra. The skulls are death. The flames crackled softly, and in their crackling, she heard the whispered name. Jon Snow. His long face floated before her, lined in tongues of red and orange, appearing and disappearing again, a shadow half seen behind a fluttering curtain. Now he was a man. Now he was a wolf. Now a man Again but the skulls were here as well. The skulls were all around him. Melisandre had seen his danger before, had tried to warn the boy of it. Enemies all around him, daggers in the dark. He would not listen. Unbelievers never listened until it was too late. (laughs) What a great... That line is so fucking good. I'm sorry, but unbelievers never listened until it was too late. The whole passage is a masterpiece. Like, this is we're really pulling out the masterworks of george r r martin lately between this and the forsaken these are holger
0: mussey holger
1: mussey oh god i can't believe i said it too. i love these little bits of foreshadowing that she is kind of following on and there are some things that i think we've all picked up before right like the the uh the crumbling of the towers not being eastwatch after all that we'll talk about There's also the great moment that she sees the eyeless faces staring out at her from socket-sweeping blood, and while yes, that could be the free folk we see at the end of chapter, uh, I also want to say, what about Euron's ship? Didn't he gouge out? Was it just the mouth he gouged out of the silence? Or was the eyes on her as well?
0: It was... It was, she had no mouth. No mouth. Right? It was I, just the I, mouth. Okay. I just assumed that she had, like, maybe never had a mouth carved on.
1: Because who knows? It could be, you know, she could also be seeing that along with Old Town.
0: Mm-hmm. And we have the
1: great line of the the things she's seeing in the sky, shadows fucking, basically, yeah, which right? could be John and Danny, could be dragons, could be John and Danny. We just don't know. We don't know what's happening there. And there's that great line of foreshadowing, right? That I always, I've seen it pointed at as John dying at the end. Great series. Uh, but. Now wolf, now man again. So it goes between now man, now wolf, now man again with skulls everywhere, which basically tells you he's coming back. Now man again. Now wolf, then now man again. Wolf man. Yeah. Man bear pig. Wolf to man. Man So he's coming back. Man bear pig. He is coming back, is what I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, the shadows, I don't know. The shadows could be like, I don't know, probably 20 different things. Pro- they probably are 20 different things all symbolizing it. But just because you, you've you questioned it, I've, I've never really thought about this before. But the shadows, I mean, it also even reminds me of like Makoro saying to Tyrion, right? Like, dragons, old and young, true and false, bright and dark, and you, a small man with a big mm-hmm. shadow, snarling in the midst of all. So... Yeah, there's a lot of John stuff here. I think we'll probably come back to some of those other prophecies. I know that you have some other stuff planned later. Also, you know, it's kind of funny how, like, rereading this and rereading that prophecy about the Grey Girl on the Dying Horse, and we've talked about this before, but it really does feel like it could be Asha. Like, not just because, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of people running from marriages at this time in the story, and it's, like, an ongoing theme, but, you know, Grey Girl on a Horse, Grey Joy, or... uh like ash right ash so i mean it it's not but i don't know it kind of could be
1: it could be i mean really but it, it's not it's, but it's it could not be.
0: it's not but it could be you know what i mean <laughs> like it could have been at the same
1: exact time is all
0: yeah they're just parallel lives as our friend aziz might say And then, of course, you have it interspersed with the memory of Melanie Lot 7, and it makes me think of what our friend Rowan was saying about uh, intrusive thoughts on that episode. Intrusive thoughts for people who have experienced trauma. Being enslaved seems like it could be pretty traumatic, but there are a lot of things that could have happened. And Rowan was talking about it as these intrusive memories, but it kind of also makes me think of like the magic systems and i don't think george is ever going to tell us actually how any of the magic systems work but there's a part of me that is kind of like what if to feed the flames you have to go over or give some of your memories as like a price in order to see the future your past for your future
1: Mm. Mm. that's interesting because and not to talk about the grisha verse but you know there are characters that have to tear it themselves to be able to create create magic right So do you give parts of yourself for this magic? Is it equivalent exchange? Is it real sacrifice?
0: Speaking of equivalent exchange, and I know that we talked about this with Quinn, right, of does Melisandre have tattoos, but the language there is so good, and it kind of makes me think of, Mm -hmm. um, you read it aloud, with the shimmers of heat traced patterns on her skin, insistent as a lover's hand. So, like, I mean... Do, do the tattoos channel magic, kind of like the the transmutation circles that were tattooed onto some of the alchemists in Full Metal Alchemist, or not alchemists? Well, like and scars. especially
1: something we'll talk about at the end when it comes to Mance, right? And, and um, the way her ruby glows, mm. and mm. as she watches someone get burnt, like, and as it's a sacrifice, and as she's you know doing yeah. magic to change those faces and switcheroos, <sighs> if that that's the thing is like she's probably doing that at all times herself right yes. with her own looks obviously game of thrones show spoilers here but we learn you know the ultimate reveal she takes off her necklace and she old like it's obvious she's an older creature it seems she tailors <laughs> seems she's like tailors herself maybe she is hiding those tattoos maybe that's something that she is subduing in herself to our eye.
0: Yeah. And I think that's entirely possible, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I think so.
0: Something else that we talked about with Quinn was, like, this idea of blood trickled down her thigh, black and smoking. And I think that we're supposed to find that as really eerie. Like, I don't know, she's concentrating so hard. But, like, I just, I just don't think that this is actually very phenomenal, right? Like, oh, blood's going down her thigh. It's, like, really not Mm-mm. that scary. It happens to me once a month. It's not special. <laughs> I brought this up on Quinn's channel. If anything,
1: it's annoying.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, like, great in knowing that I'm not pregnant, but...
1: That you're not carrying Stannis' child. Right?
0: oh Oh, god. Oh, god. Nightmares. Ugh. Uh
1: It's more annoying than anything. Like, I'm literally trying to pack to leave to go somewhere tonight, and I'm, like, looking at the calendar, and I'm like, well, just to be safe, should I? Do I? What do I do? Like... It's just a fucking annoyance, yeah. you know? And then you got, you know, like, when you get your moon blood and a-swaff, all you have is fucking, what, paper, linens? Fold that shit, put it in your legs?
0: I think some of them... Uh, I think Melisandre just freebleeds.
1: Good for her. That's so amazing. Yeah. That's, like, that's power right there.
0: I mean, that's the thing, right? She's red, and that's why you gotta wear black, so that the stains don't show. And, like, <gasps> yeah, I, I guess she's... Doing that, and I almost had a fashion conundrum today, and that's why it's a good thing I wore black, so. (laughs) I refuse to speak to you, oh my god. Around the time of that line, we have also this other one of, The fire was inside her, an agony and ecstasy, filling her, searing her, transforming her. And this agony and ecstasy reminds me a little bit of the ecstasy of St. Teresa, which some of you might recognize as a famous statue of a woman looking pretty orgasmic as an angel stabs her in the chest with a spear. And it comes from the account of St. Teresa, and I'm just going to read this aloud of like, I saw in his hand a long spear of gold, and at the iron's point there seemed to be a little fire. He appeared to me to be thrusting it at times into my heart and to pierce my very entrails. When he drew it out, he seemed to also draw them and to leave me all on fire with a great love of God. The pain was so great that it made me moan, and yet so surpassing was the sweetness of this excessive pain that I could not wish to be rid of it. The soul is satisfied now with nothing less than God. The pain is not bodily but spiritual, though the body has its share in it. It is a caressing of love so sweet which now takes place between the soul and God that I pray God of his goodness to make him experience it who may think that I am lying." So, I leave you with that.
1: (laughs) Mm, That's very much the ecstasy of St. Teresa, right down to the language. I love that. Amazing. God is something, apparently. R'hllor is powerful, according to the ecstasy of St. Teresa.
0: He just makes her have her period. It's not amazing. Anyways.
1: (laughs) Yeah, wait, who did write this? I mean, just kidding. Who wrote this fanfic? Devin Seaworth asks her what she sees. And she responds, much and more. Although she thinks it could never describe what she really saw. Seeing was an art of discipline, pain, study, speaking to chosen ones through blessed fire. She had practiced for years beyond count and had paid the price. No one in her order had her level of skill, but now she can't find her own king in the flames. I pray for a glimpse of Azora High, and Valor shows me only snow. Yes, coming back to what you had said, Eliana, with paying that price, mm. right, that sacrifice, it seems that uh, she's really pushing it here, the limits, right? She's practiced for years and years and years, and interesting that she is still a little blind to what is around her, right? Because in the lightning round, we talked a little bit of how some of those texts that come from Ashai are some of the fabled legends and lore, right, that we hear across Westeros. Azora High. Uh, possibly originated in those texts from a shy. So you have to think on a level of A, childhood fairy tale stories and B propaganda, they had to be proud of that. That had to be something that they really believed in, something they had faith in being real, because it was in these texts that came from a shy and into their culture so deep. And because of that, like you really get that sense of that religious fervor being so ingrained into their society deep-rooted in that lore, and for Belle, like, her life growing up was built on those legends, especially if she's pretty old, right? If she's hundreds of years old, those legends were probably much more important those hundreds Hmm. of years ago when she was growing up there. You know, we've seen Mel through all these different POVs, right? We've seen her in Crescent, we've seen her in Davos, but here you begin to realize just how misunderstood her character is by those two men, and how much... You know, even right here, she's seeing in the fire, she's saying her logical thoughts out loud. We're saying, Mel, oh my god, look behind you, you're seeing only snow for a reason, but she's blind to it, right? Because she has one vision in her mind of what it should be like that she's known for hundreds of years.
0: Yeah, that's actually true, right? Like, he might've she might've just been seeing him in the fires for all of these hundreds of years, and it's finally just like, oh my god. Mm -hmm. Stannis is born.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay
0: enjoy <laughs> I mean maybe maybe right like I mean and then Stannis turns out was just the path to get to Azor High, meaning mm-hmm. like I don't know John. John seems pretty important for a lot of reasons and I love that you've pointed out that she looks so different in the lenses of these other men right like Cressen and Davos who I mean they don't really care about they only really care about Stannis I guess and I Cressen probably doesn't have very much experience interacting with women as a maester Especially, like, when he was growing up.
1: Probably not. Probably not.
0: Melisandre calls for a drink from Devin, which I'm pretty sure we've brought this up in the past, too, like, on Quinn's, but I just want to say, like, we go a couple of pages, and then suddenly, you know, Melisandre's doing all this praying, thinking, working, and like, oh, by the way, surprise, Devin's here, too, and he's been here the whole time, and (laughs) (laughs) he's just here! She gives him a smile, makes him blush, and thinks on how the boy is half in love with her, that he fears her and wants her, worships her, although he doesn't really like being here. And I find that line actually really interesting because this is the way that she goes about the world, right? This is the way that she kind of cultivates relationships, right? Through through that fear, that wanting, that worshiping. None of it is actually, you know, uh, a, a deep, necessarily, relationship. It's- it's- it's still about people projecting onto her instead of, like, her having that sense of personhood.
1: I understand her. You know, it's hard. No, but there is something, too, with Devin that he's almost like her little shadow. Ooh,
0: interesting, Quiet, he is. Quiet, a whisper
1: behind her, yeah. Ooh. Which is maybe more like smoke, you know, that you try to grab and then he's gone because he's, what, the next dead kid of Davos's?
0: I really hope not. I mean, she's trying for that to not happen. Okay, well,
1: she's also trying to, what, protect Stannis' heir?
0: Yeah, and I don't know that she's actually gonna succeed in that plan, because I don't know that people are gonna be too happy that Devin is still here in a bit. That's fair. But... Uh, also i do think it's really interesting that she asks Mm -hmm. him for water right because she doesn't get hungry but that means she apparently does get thirsty so i don't know if it's like anything or like is it just about discomfort she's
1: burning it off i mean probably from pure body heat as we see throughout the chapter she's warm she melts each step later when she walks with john
0: that's true it's just interesting that she needs it i guess for whatever the fuck she's doing
1: yeah, my husband says I need water too, but I don't really believe him. So,
0: so along with that, working and the thing about the blood, it it actually speaks to like a lot of people have hypothesized before that Melisandre, like Beric Dondarrion, is dead because hmm. Beric is described as not needing to sleep, not needing to eat or anything, and it's been confirmed before by George regarding Fire White. Like, he said it before in talks that, like, they they don't need to eat or sleep and that their heart mm-hmm. or their blood or something doesn't really work. It doesn't, like, really maybe fully function. And I just remember there was a lot of discussion a few years ago about the d- mechanics of it, but, like, maybe the, the blood doesn't flow in the same way. So maybe it was, I don't know, like that and happening.
1: In my head right now, I'm acting like this is the newest thing I've ever heard and that I've never heard it, but I just want you to know that I googled it. And I went on Reddit to the first post that came up, and I absolutely have upvoted every comment. Is it from you? Comment. No, it's no. I wish. Um, <laughs> I wish I was this smart. No, it's a post from eight years ago that I have definitely read because I've upvoted all the comments. Have so... you upvoted
0: every single one, or is it sometimes there's errors now with Reddit when you look nope. back on? Our posts? there's like five
1: to seven different ones that I apparently upvoted. Not all of okay. them. So, so I apparently knew this theory is what I'm saying. But no, that's that's interesting and. We know Stoneheart doesn't sleep, right? Um, Thoros tells Brienne that she returned when they were sleeping. She never sleeps herself. Uh, there's something about Drogon's blood kind of being the same color of her blood, right? Black and smoking, which is interesting. So it seems very spelly. Doesn't seem very human. Seems like a non-human thing. That's true. Beric Dondarrion's blood, I think, was described as black, too. Now Probably. that you say it. In the Arya, haha, ha! like we planned this in the Arya chapters, I want to say during her POV when he gets cut in the Sandor fight, his blood comes out all smoking black. Yeah. So uh, she could be undead and be like the only one that figured out how to everlast it at a price a horrid price.
0: It could be. Yeah. I think that's possible. There's something there, and I know that people ask a lot of these because they want to know if Jon will have rigor mortis or not. <laughs>
1: About his dick.
0: Anyway, so, Devin. He was a king's squire before, but Stannis commanded him to stay and protect the red woman at Castle Black. There's a lot of colors going on here. He wanted glory at Deepwood Mott like the other boys his age, Um, and it's actually probably a really good thing that he didn't go. <laughs> uh, but actually though i mean he probably would have been eaten by like the other soldiers and stuff but anyways he, he maybe felt like it was a rebuke or punishment for failure by him or his father davos but melisandre had asked for him specifically devon is the fifth born he's now the eldest of davos's surviving sons because if you'll remember a lot of them uh died at the blackwater <laughs> it's not and- funny. Sorry. so he he was safer probably with melisandre than with stannis and lord davos wouldn't thank her for it but she thinks that uh, davos has seen enough grief and he is a loyal man despite his misguided nature and chloe hasn't seen the show but whatever maybe someone else has cue the crazy ex-girlfriend song after everything i've done for you that you didn't ask for and maybe also the oh
1: my god i'm still not there i'm sorry still not there someday i'm trying i'm trying Yeah, it's, again, she really wants to save that kid, which makes me think he's going to die. Moving on. Uh, Another thing that makes me think he's going to die is how smart and capable he is. He's actually very sharp compared to the men that Melisandre has been left to guard her from Stannis. Uh, All the men he's left her are old men, cripples, geldings, drunkards, and cravens, and, you know, it's still important to have guards, she thinks, but very interesting. We have a line where she says... The last should have been hanged, as the king himself admitted, but he came from a noble family, and his father and brothers had been stalwart from the first. Interesting. That's not very righteous and just of him. There's something... Hmm. God damn it, Club. I'm just saying, we haven't gotten to hate Stannis in a while, so what a hypocrite. Hey. I mean, oh, but starving men should just die, but you're gonna pop up these assholes that actually are bad?
0: Hmm. Yeah...
1: Where's the punishment? Where's the justice, Stannis? I thought you were just.
0: I don't know if, like, I I don't know if, like, I don't know if this guy is, like, a deserter or something, and that's what happened. There's something about it that actually makes me kind of think a little bit of John, but mostly mm-hmm. it, it also really makes me think of Sam, right, with the Craven stuff. But as we know, oh, Sam's man. actually, like, super brave, so that can't be him.
1: Oh,
0: and we love is. Sam yeah and he did not desert and neither did john anyways he is laying with a woman though but like i mean whomst whomst among them has not whomst amongst us hasn't yeah anyways so
1: these guards would keep the black brothers respectful but maybe not protect her from actual trouble but she doesn't really fear because she has relore as her guardian her eyes, like mine, are tired from staring at screen-slash-fires all day, and she asks for Devin to replenish the fire. And what hour it is. It's dawn. She spent the night in her chair at the fire. She had no time for sleep, and she feared to dream. She's just like me, for real. Oh my god. Oh my god, Melisandre. This is so me. I don't sleep either. Mood. And we have a great line. Sleep is a little death. Dreams the whisperings of the other, who would drag us all into his eternal night
0: interesting interesting so usually l- i feel like little deaths is used as a euphemism for orgasms le petit mort but i guess george i don't know playing with this but i don't know maybe he's just channeling nas here so
1: well no i mean le petit mort actually is that like it wasn't all like the the first use of orgasm wasn't the first use of it. Lepetimor mort actually is the little that's death. That's the translation. Sleep. It's it's sleep mm. is a little death basically. Okay. La mort. Yeah. So originally it was that, but then it became used because the post orgasm. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't always. It was just
0: yeah. The post nut clarity. Yeah.
1: It became post nut clarity. Originally <sighs> though, it was the brief loss or weakening of consciousness. Mm. So. Over time, it became post I guess that is kind of
0: what it is. All right.
1: Yeah. Not everything is sexy, Eliana. Okay.
0: Okay. In etymology and origin. Sleep is very sexy.
1: Uh, Trust me, I'm going to get fucked up on it tonight. Don't you worry.
0: So. So, some nights she naps, but never more than for an hour, though. Again. (laughs) That's me. And she feared to dream. (laughs) (laughs) Chloe. And she prays never to sleep at all, to be free of dreams. And then Melanie, she thought, Lot 7.
1: Yes. So as we chat about some of that slavery and her plot, it's really, really intentionally done the way that George, like, very softly doesn't tell us, but tells us, right? The two different voices, as experienced by Eliana's voice acting earlier, show us that there were several people involved in auctioning her off Uh, She thinks it again. It's her kind of recurring PTSD tick, right? Somewhat like we see some of the other characters have similar of. And coming back to kind of Rowan talking on the Not-A-Cast podcast about Melisandre's PTSD, Uh, she talks a lot about how Melisandre meets the criteria for PTSD, some examples being like being exposed to a traumatic event that threatens physical injury or harm or death to you experiencing intrusive symptoms like Eliana mentioned like dreams of the event avoidance of feelings sensations that bring it up and then two or more negative changes in thoughts and mood following the experience of the event and many others Rowan describes some of these these two experiences as like feeling after the event I am unlovable or worthless or the world is terrible and bad and other symptoms similar specifically you could see some of that religious reaction reflex of response right uh, as a trauma response, it, it's something very common that people after trauma turn to religion, they turn to faith, they turn to wanting meaning, and to guidance and some sort of belief or higher power to be able to put some of your worry and weariness into. We all have that, right? Whether it's faith or something else, whether it's an activity, some people love exercise, some people love alcohol, some people love marijuana, some people love hard drugs, some people love uh, gardening, I don't know. We
0: A song of ice and fire. That's right. okay. okay, That's a
1: hard drug. And... <laughs> Some people love other activities, right? But people turn to things to get through the tr- like everyday horror of the real world, uh, let alone your traumas. And I think this is such an important context to put around Melisandra and why her belief is so deep, right? She's had so long to foster it, she's had so long to grow it, and so long that every single time that she does something influenced in that belief and relore. She seems to get a response, and so it deepens and so it widens like a chasm.
0: Yeah, that's a great analysis of that, and also from Rowan. And yeah, that religious trauma, the religious aspect informing Melisandre's character is a huge reason for why we put this right after Aaron. And as we brought up in Aaron, it reminds me again of characters like Lancel, Lannister he's someone else who's kind of going through this whole thing and is also kind of this truth-sayer character, too, especially in, in Jamie's plot where he's mm-hmm. giving a lot of those reveals, but, you know, he's he's got a lot of that uh, religious fervor in the aspect, and, I mean, it's a little bit different from... It's it's quite different from how, how it went <laughs> in the show. He still really goes through the religious stuff, but... Still better uh, than Shadow and Bone 2. Oh my god.
1: <laughs> I said what I said.
0: <laughs> uh, while Devin feeds the fire logs, she thinks on the enemy beyond the wall, growing stronger. She wonders if it had been his face she had seen, but no. She thought he'd be more frightening than that. She thinks on the wooden man, though, and the boy with the wolf's face, thinking that those must be the Great Other's champions, as Stannis is hers. <laughs> Lol. Interesting how it frames it, and it comes back
1: to something I think we've talked about here. I know we talked about it with Quinn uh, over at Quinn's Ideas of, you know, in Brand we talked about it too, the, the pool of magic that all the gods are dipping into the pool, right? They're scooping some magic out from many of the same places, and we've talked a bit about how faith kind of creates that god, and as we do talk more about the trappings of power... uh. Faith creates kings, too, right? Belief creates kings, as we look at Agen. uh Belief creates gods, and it does make me think of Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Also had a bad season, too. Just putting that out there. Don't watch it either. I did not watch um, it because
0: I heard that it had a bad season, too.
1: They did Orlando so dirty. Mm. I don't even want to. I don't have time for this, but we'll come. We'll talk about it some other time. <laughs> Maybe we this. should. I,
0: you know, I, you can tell me how about how bad it is because it's I've fat. only read the book.
1: So I know I read the book because you read the book because you told me to read Oh my god, was that the first book I read because you told me to read the book? <gasps> really? No, I think it was. It was twenty seventeen. It was anyway. Sorry. So American Gods, Eliana did make me read that book. You and sweet YFT and made me read that book. So
0: that might be why uh, that happened. It- yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We all talked about it I don't even together remember in talking our cute little group that. DMs. I remember
0: everything. <laughs> sorry. Well, except for you knowing about the thing earlier with Melisandre and the undead.
1: Listen, listen. So in American Gods, there's kind of this explanation given by Shadow's cellmate, Loki, who explains that gods are not entities of magic necessarily, but of focus, right? The thing of being a god is they're concentrated essences of themselves, and they aren't really themselves, but the them that people believe in. So being a god means that they become one with what the human thinks it is, right? So if the human thinks of a god that embodies thunder, they think the god of thunder, they control all thunder, that's what they do. And they use that belief in those prayers, and it's kind of a certainty that lets them create something, the gods themselves create themselves into a bigger, cooler being, and humans take refuge in that, and they themselves feel more human because of it and how that belief in a religion grows. And American Gods does a great job of kind of playing that and showing that all these gods actually can exist and do exist on the same plane, but that some of these gods are dying because Uh of that lack of belief and because of that lack of focus and that prayer to focus instead of magic.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I think the King's Blood thing works, with like that focus Mm -hmm. in a way and assuming that it's real. Great tie-in. I kind of wonder if there's, like, a play on the wording here and that it's saying that, like, Stannis is her champion in the way that Bloodraven and Bran are the Great Others champions because they're not actually the Great Others champions? Yeah, no, I
1: think that is what she thinks. I think she absolutely thinks that, that Stannis is her champion against Bran and Bloodraven. Oh, no, what I'm
0: saying that, like, that's- As the
1: champion of the other.
0: The irony there is that Stannis is not actually her champion, because it turns out that Stannis is not. uh He's like a red herring, yeah. right? And Bran and Bloodraven mm-hmm. are not the Great Others champions. That's the joke. Yeah. The language. But yeah. especially
1: um, interesting, because, like, they have the same mission. That's true. Not Aura High necessarily, but preventing the Long Night.
0: Unless... I mean, I think they do. Like, I'm pretty sure that they do, but we've well, had that true. discussion before during the brand chapters. Check them out.
1: Who knows with Bloodraven? Who knows?
0: That's interesting, actually, that they've been around, like, so long together, Bloodraven and Melisandra. Ships passing in the night? They run in the I same mean,
1: circles, you know?
0: Maybe. Magic circles. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, I don't know. like The Twitter magic circles. Social media, like or, or like, Google circles. Google circles. Remember Google Circles? I
1: will never forget Google+. Plus.
0: So, Devin asks if she wants to break her fast, but she thinks that it's Jon Snow that she needs, not fried bread and bacon. Speak for yourself, Melisandre. I want fried bread and bacon. But John won't come to her summons. He lived behind the armory mm. in modest rooms that Donald Noy once lived in. And then we have this line of, perhaps he did not think himself worthy of the king's tower, or perhaps he did not care that was his mistake, the false humility of youth, that is, itself a sort of pride. It was never wise for a ruler to eschew the trappings of power, for power itself flows in no small measure from such trappings.
1: I love the way you related this to bringing Varys up in her plot, right? Even thinking about the sorcerer (laughs) and what they might have said to him once. Um, Melisandre is so wrapped up in the trappings of power in this chapter, and it's really interesting as someone who really isn't politically into the Westerosi politics
0: scene. <laughs> so
1: true. Right, that she is very, you know, yeah. she's very different. She comes from a very different background, but she's this all-powerful, slightly ancient being that, you know, knows she has to sacrifice parts of herself to create some insane magic, but she also understands that she can't accomplish what she needs to set out to do without convincing some ruler that he needs to be the king and he needs to lead almost in it's almost propaganda right like she's like we need propaganda to front this cause Mm. we need somebody to politically be the face of it in order for the god to win she needs her own trappings which is a king she needs a king to stand behind as we see here she's not fearing for her safety because of her magic and her powers and abilities but she also needs the trapping of power in men Even if they're men that may not be knights or may not be up to snuff in her eyes, she needs these men to guard her. Those are her trappings of power, King Stannis and the guards that he's given her. That's what keeps her safe and that's what keeps their entire mission here and their entire political mission and magical mission going. And as we go through the chapter, her smokes become her shields right her fake magic is also her trapping of power just as her real magic she is forced to put on displays and airs literally airs in order to maintain that illusion and the fantasy of what she's selling right it's also it's complex in the way that like she's selling a fantasy to stannis she's selling a fantasy to all of them she's selling them this sultry sexy relore not just her she's just a servant of it but of relore of the flames, of the power. And for people to believe, they have to see it. And here she is.
0: It's really interesting what you're saying there. And and I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to say one thing and then tie it in to everything that you were saying about the trappings of power and how she's using it. She doesn't really understand what John's doing. And to be fair, it does totally backfire on him. Anyway, mm-hmm. he's... Following the example of the power that he saw Ned have, the kind of power that, like, Ned showed him to have, of, like, you know, I'm John every people. I'm just a man of the people. I'm just, like, one of you. It's showing that humility, whereas the way that Melisandre understands power and and power being really tied into perhaps her own safety is to be feared, to be wanted, to be worshipped, which is actually really similar to the way that the Lannisters wield power as opposed to that uh i want the people to respect me i want them to love me which as we see is the stark approach to power or at least ned's flavor of it
1: like the onion i get it it's just like the onion
0: flavor no just the (laughs) difference that like she
1: believes you can't oh my god that too (laughs) she believes that there's no if or and you have to cut it You can't just cut it out, like, you just throw the onion out, that shit's fucked. And just like that with power, there's no respect, there's no love and loyalty. You have to sell that veneer.
0: Interesting, because I'm like, I know that she did not come for money, so why are you just throwing onions away anyway? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, like, in regards to wanting to be loved or liked, but it is different, though, how she's getting that power, like, you know, again, through want, uh, being kept at a distance... And and being an object, being feared, wanted, worshipped, because that's what a lot of people in Westeros see women as. Uh, she's not being perceived as a woman. She she really isn't. She's in this area of the uncanny, and I think it's interesting when you see that she's surrounded with men as the trappings of power, because people think only men can hold power in Westeros, so they are the trappings mm-hmm. of power. And I think that's that's a really well done exactly. observation, Chloe.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all day. Just, just for you. me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... She's just like me for real. No, I'm just kidding. It's safety politically, too. I mean, she's doing what everyone... I, I say she doesn't play Westerosi politics, but she kind of is. She kind uh, of is. I know
0: that there are people who theorize whether she's, like, Blood Raven and she are a sea Star's child. And, like, I don't know about that, yeah. but... I don't know. Part of what you said makes me wonder if, like, you know, before the story, did she, like, spend hundreds of years studying Westerosi society and their politics before she was like, I'm a redhead now?
1: (laughs) I mean, again, hundreds of years, hundreds of years, you know? Very interesting. That would be a fun novella. Come on, George.
0: But then again, of course, with, like, those hundreds of years, I guess she could have learned about, I don't know, different kinds of power anyway.
1: So. John knows better than to come to Melisandre. He summons her. He always chooses to summon her to come to him. Power move. And when she does arrive, he often keeps her waiting. She tells Devin to bring her a boiled egg, nettle tea, fresh bread, and to bring the wildling, Rattleshirt, and quickly. She checks her pockets while he's gone, making sure that her powders are in place to change color in the flames, powders that produce a smoke, for truth, lust, fear. And one that could even kill outright.
0: So something that stood out to me in this read-through, I don't know why it never jumped out at me before, was that one about that can just, like, kill, right? Feels like, I don't know, Chekhov's gun? Or gunpowder?
1: Yeah. I would be interested if that doesn't come back. Any of those. I imagine that we'll see them.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I mean, you and I have seen powders that change the color of flames. We uh did a fun little bonfire once, or... I don't know, like fire pit, and then use powders that change the color of flames. Yeah, I wanted to
1: feel like Melisandre for real,
0: for real. And you did, and <laughs> we ate too many marshmallows.
1: Oh, it was so fun! But
0: though. not, not with the chemical fire. That was with the non-chemical fire, because yeah, we're
1: not like Tide Pods, <laughs> Tide Pod snorters or anything like so that.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So Melisandre's stock is growing really low, though, on all of these magical powders. Just like mine, I'll have to repurchase it for next time. Uh, her chest from overseas is at 25%. She lacks the ingredients to make more because they're kind of luxury ingredients from the East. She thinks that her spells should suffice by now because they're super powered by the magic of the wall. More than a shy ever empowered her, which is interesting. I'm like, oh, ooh, a shy powered you? Black stone, maybe? Is that obsidian that you were being super powered from? I don't know.
0: I don't know. Interesting.
1: Uh, everything she did here, though, at the wall or was the even fish. more potent than that. The fish in the black stone. She thinks, such shadows I bring forth here will be terrible. No creature of the dark will stand before them. I just have to say that it's interesting that she doesn't think that the shadows- I mean I know shadows are cast by light so she thinks that it's of the light, but at the same time I kind of feel like a shadow versus shadow fight won't work, right?
0: Yeah, Chloe's out here like, I have read the Grishaverse, and <laughs> oh my God. I know what it means to have darkness powers. Well, but
1: I'm just saying, right, Like she thinks that shadow is so good and stuff, and I'm like, yeah, but you're making the shadow creatures, how are they gonna do stuff in the- they are the dark, dude. Those yeah. are the
0: dark. Hmm. I think it's arguable that, like, you know, it- they would be even more powerful, because they're in their own element, and unseen but I wonder if it rings out like it's just twisted logic
1: I wonder if yeah. in the end it will mean something such as like maybe R'hllor not good question mark we don't know
0: yeah like relord not good or you know the false shadows of not good to religious propaganda <laughs>
1: yeah because the shadows we've seen are like terrifying right like the ones that she's made have been terrifying and they murder which is like if they're supposed to fight the others fight the other, fight the darkness, how can a shadow that's terrible in murders fight the like, is it gonna kill the others? I don't know about that. To me, I feel like there might be a reveal on the way where it's like, maybe not good.
0: Or maybe we just find out as we go through the series that even like, you know, the side of light is not good, right? Which mm-hmm. is something that's definitely being explored throughout the series yeah. regardless. True, true. Yeah, I don't know. I like I said in the Forsaken. Part of what I really want from the Winds of Winter is I want to just see how explicit and dramatic the magic is gonna be. Right? How intense is it gonna be? Like, cause if she's telling me that these shadows are gonna be terrible, like, I <laughs> want some fucking like strong ass shadows one day. The next Melisandre chapter, and like, I I. I'm just very curious to see what kind of shadow binding we're gonna get and like how it's stronger here than it isn't a shy. Because like as you pointed out, I as I don't think like as you were saying earlier, I don't think that her being a shadow binder is necessarily the case for most other Red Priests. Like I don't think this is a typical Red Priest thing in their training or in their curriculum. It's not like in Red Priest Seminary School. This is I think something that she just did on her own she like chose to multi-class and I think
1: that there's some and again we need another book with some more Mel chapters I really want that but I think it speaks too to like her resilience and that she broke out of her, her situation in search of a higher power and in search of a greater education in search of more of this right so like to me in my mind what I see happening is that she tried to overcome where she had been put and been bought and sold off as, right? And she tried to learn power so she would never have to be powerless like
0: that again. Mm, yeah, that that's a good point. Yeah, for two seconds there I was like wondering, like, is there, I don't know, it, was it something in her training that was really traumatic, but then she would just be, like, I think really afraid of shadows. I don't know, maybe there was something in her training with darkness that makes her really afraid? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And of
1: course, tons, tons we'll get through. Even more Arya kind of parallels coming, I feel like, for sure. Many, many.
0: She wouldn't need the tricks of alchemists and pyromancer soon. She hides the key to the chest in her skirts, and then the Lord of Bones arrives, wearing a sleeveless jerkin of boiled leather with bronze studs and a cloak in shades of green and brown. Not a bone to be seen. And then we have this line of, he was cloaked in shadows too, in the wisps of ragged gray mist, half seen sliding across his face and form with every step he took interesting did you say that was what was that called that color was that uh was that? gray mist huh what could it mean what could it be, eliana there's so much gray mist stuff this chapter every time it showed up i was just leo, yeah. like leo dicaprio pointing and being like chloe said that <laughs> chloe said that as
1: we've as we've talked a little bit about whether it was in our Duncan egg episodes That we... (laughs) Was it? Oh my god, it was in Duncan Egg, it was in Brandon and Bloodraven, and I'm sure we talked about it in other times, but yeah, that was recent. It's been a long life, really, so don't feel bad, Aliana. Uh, You know, Grey Mist, I feel like, signifies that something's up, whether it's Bloodraven or whether it's a glamour. We see Maynard Plum in uh, Mystery Night. When he is like no one knows what he looks like. He has like a gray mist around him for a second, and then he turns, and for a second you think he's someone else. But he's just Maynard Plum, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But he's Blood Raven. Well here we go. Melisandre, which again, she feels her rival is Blood Raven, which says that their magic is dipping from the same pool because she's doing a glamour, dipping absolutely from that same pool.
0: Mm.
1: Interesting to think about. And you know, I do see where people want to tie the Shiera Star and Blood Raven bits together there because Shiera was said to be a sorceress who bathed in blood and cast spells all the time and probably is the one who taught Brynden how to do the glamour.
0: Huh, yeah, she probably was the one who taught him how to do a glamour. She was known for wearing those stones. Yep. Melisandre tells
1: Rattleshirt <laughs> <laughs> that while his suit of bones annoyed him, it protects him. The Black Brothers don't love him. She's heard as much from Devin. He got into it with Bowen and Marsh at dinner. He plays with his knife while he recaps it, and he tells her if a crow wants to slip a knife between his ribs while spooning up supper, he's uh-huh. welcome to try. Maybe not you, but another king might get that to happen to him. RIP, John. Uh. John foreshadowing is crazy in this chapter. Melisandra pays his dagger no mind. She would have seen it in the flames if he wanted to hurt her. That's the first thing she learned to see back in the Red Temple as a young slave girl.
0: Yeah, so this is another one of those things where I, like, kind of wonder, is this part of the curriculum? Like, is Flame Viewing 101, like, learning to find danger against yourself? And then Flame Viewing 102 is learning to see danger against others? Or is this something that she wanted to, like, prioritize in her learnings for her, like, own self and, like, her own protection.
1: Well, and not to skip ahead in our Arya chapters, right, but when we get to A Feast for Crows, there's something in that that's reminiscent of Arya, right, that is every other person in the House of Black and White getting the exact Mm -hmm. training she's getting? Are they all getting also, like, skin-changing warg training on accident? Like, it's obvious that maybe... Maybe Melisandre was selected for having a capacity or having, like, showing the potential for it, just like Arya's kind of being trained differently.
0: Yeah, because, like, Lord knows that Doros was not chosen for this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's very true.
0: So, she warns the man that he should worry about their eyes and not their knives, because of the glamour. On his wrist is a black iron fetter with a ruby that seems to pulse. He says that he feels it when he sleeps, warm on his skin, soft as a woman's kiss, Melisandre's kiss, and I'm like, oh, how do you know about that? Uh, but wow. in his dreams, it burns, and her lips turn to teeth. Every day he wants to take it off, but every day he doesn't. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about that Tannis Lee story earlier at the beginning of this episode, and really... How Melisandre is not, but a lot of people, like, everyone sees her as this kind of succubus-like figure. You have that imagery of the lips turning in into teeth, and I, I'm just like, I mean, it's not that weird. The teeth are just behind your lips. It's not, it's really not that weird. You, like, you never <laughs> bite when you kiss. Mance, have you ever made out with, like, anyone? Poor Dalla. <laughs> but anyways... It makes me think of George uh, conjuring up again that idea of, like, the vagina dentata and vaginal teeth <laughs> and the specter of the womb and it being terrifying and, and the element of the uncanny. And everyone everyone imposes these narratives on Melisandre, which is part of what she wants and cultivates because she sees it as power. But deep down, Melisandra's just – she's just a woman – a really, really, really old woman. Who's just, she's just trying her
1: best. Interesting that when he dreams, he dreams of her and everything, and it makes me go back to what you were saying about how she wants the fear, the respect, et cetera. In that way, um, oh. it makes me think about your aunt planting dreams in people's. I know head. that our
0: friend Joe Magician has, has like an essay about. Uh, it might also be a video now about Whisper Jewels tying back the idea of the whisper jewel from george's first novel novella dying of the light but the dreams and implanting of them very interesting considering that might have been one of the things that like the glass candles could could do back then it seems they still
1: could to be fair
0: yeah yeah I that's mean, true or um, is that something that people still theorize i just know that there's like a list that, that george said it could have done i don't know these things whatever it was it was recent
1: yeah i think that we don't know enough yet really i think that he's just really introduced the concept right and feast even more to me that says he wants to do something with them Melisandra explains the spell is made of shadow and suggestion <laughs> Uh, shadow and boners and that men see what they expect to see. The bones are part of that. Again, trappings of bone power. Of shadow and bone power. Bone power
0: makeup. (laughs) Bone halation. I mean, she is a magical girl, Alessandra. She is. She is.
1: Mance, I mean... The Rattleshirt, the Lord of Bones, the Rattleshirt, says... The <laughs> Rattleshirt. I... Two E's. I've sung my songs, fought my battles, drunk summer wine, tasted the Dornishman's wife. A man should die the way he's lived. For me, that's steel in hand. Does he dream of death? Could the enemy have touched him? Death is his domain, the dead his soldiers. I love this bit on Reread because it's the first... Wait a second. Why would Rattleshirt talk about the Dornishman's wife? Da, 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 da. What could it mean? Of course. And now he's going to transform into another man, Abel the Bard, once more. Uh, li- uh, again, coming back to Arya, right? All these ideas of different identities and the identities that Melisandre has been before, even. Interesting to think about when we see that Mance is going to return to Abel. And this was such a really... It's so well played. Like, who is he really going on the whole chapter until now? It's an awesome reveal. I remember being like, what? Oh my god, what?
0: I thought you were dead, bitch. Yeah, I remember I was like, whoa. Wow. You can do that? Oh my god. It's, I think, one of the really big reveals in this book, right? Yeah,
1: and really well done.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's just kind of exciting because it's like, Mance! Mance is alive. How is how exciting? Because he
1: is like a good dude. I mean, overall, like, yeah, he's not a bad dude.
0: Yeah, for sure, and that's something that we've we've discussed before in like, I guess it's been a couple of years now in the John chapters, mm-hmm. but it's fun, right? Like you get this reveal of man still being alive, kind of alongside. Finding out characters like Theon are still alive, but I guess also, in a way, glamoured as Reek. Yeah, I don't know. Does he dream of death? I don't know that that means, like, that the enemy could have touched him. I mean, isn't that just normal? Like, I think it's just normal to... Oh, like Season
1: death. 7, when Bran dreams of the White Walkers, and then the one touches his hand and the crow's flabbered. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's basically like that. That's actually what George is referencing, because he he that wrote moment. these after the show. No. So oh my God. yeah. So but the true enemy is moving, and the rangers she saw in her vision will return. Blind, bloody-eyed, it's the work of the weeper, my friend Bookshelf Stud's favorite. Um and The Wildling says that the best crow's a blind crow as his motto. Uh that's that's the wildlings, that's the weepers motto. And then we have this line from Mance of if it's the weeper though. That's not good. Not for him, and not for us. Melisandre nodded solemnly, as if she had taken his words to heart, but the sweeper did not matter. None of his free folk mattered. They were a lost people, a doomed people, destined to vanish from the earth, as the children of the forest had vanished. Those were not words he would wish to hear, though, and she could not risk losing him. Not now. Um. What? (laughs) What?
1: And that's why Melisandre and Stannis hook up here, you know? That's why they're buddies, because they believe one thing. What the... She's willing to sacrifice them in order to save everyone else, she thinks. Uh, She doesn't see people as anything but a number in accomplishing those goals. She's that driven and that forward for that one goal. And it's interesting that she seems to know that she needs John, but she can't see around that, even when... That should tell her something else, right? That maybe John, as you mentioned, could be a high or could be such a poignant figure. She knows he's important. She doesn't understand what for. And she doesn't understand that she could be misseeing and misinterpreting these visions when they're yelling John at her all this time. Uh, but yet she knows she needs him. She knows she needs him.
0: It reminds me of something that Rowan brought up of like... I mean, it's sad that she sees herself as this pawn, like, as this piece to be used by the Red God, but it also speaks to, like, this idea of the people who turn to religion especially, it helps them create meaning to the suffering that they've uh, suffered, like and that trauma and maybe that's what's happening here maybe she sees all these people as like ways to accomplish the goal because that's what she sees her part in all of this as she doesn't necessarily see herself as like an important person she's just a piece and she's been told that she's just a piece especially coming from being a slave
1: she's a prophet she's a shepherd like
0: this is your job your role and you're expendable and so maybe she thinks that way about other people Mm -hmm. and like this it's the mm-hmm. sort of cyclical nature of again it's like she thinks of herself as just who she is she's just a piece not a person it of is course. kind of funny though now that i think about it like she didn't actually see in her visions i guess that the free folk would be gone just that like she thinks that that they would be gone like that they would be sacrificed but like i mean the children of the forest aren't actually gone as we know so maybe like the free folk won't be and i've i've got hope
1: That's a great point. That's a really great point because they're not gone. The children are still there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We saw them. She, (laughs) she, she's seeing them.
1: Yeah, she has. She, like me, changes the topic to the vision of Jon Snow's sister and says they must win Jon's trust. The Lord of Bones could do this and save her. He says the crows should just send his little crows. And Melisandre says, he's not you. He plans to keep his vows. Lol, me, Jon Snow, I think we best change the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Lol. So, the Lord of Bones is not the Night's Watch, she says. He can do what Jon Snow cannot. The visions that she had seen showed her water, with ice forming on it, going forever, and he says that must be Long Lake. She describes hills, fields, deer, stones, that she's staying away from villages, throwing hunters off her trail. They plot out the visions as a map. Melisandre realizing this girl's not coming up the king's road, that she's very clever.
0: So maybe I misunderstood this detail like earlier on in the chapter, but like, didn't she say that she had only been able to see this vision once? And she's able to recreate so much detail for Mance, and I'm just like, wow. Melisandre's memory is amazing.
1: Yeah, and that she's able to describe these areas she barely knows. Right, it's not like she's grown I, up here. I
0: mean, east and west, it's like I mean, unless she has grown up here, right? Oh my God. I mean, like for her to know all that, like, I'm my best friend is really bad at saying east and west. I mean, she takes people in the, like the completely wrong direction. I've I've told you this story actually. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah, and I love
1: that it tells us a lot about like Alice, right? That if this is the gray girl who's dying on the horse or on the dying horse, Alice. Where she came from, right? If you look at a map where she was going around and that she was not dumb, she did not take the King's Road. And ironically, that neither did Jane, neither did Arya in their escapes out. Arya, maybe eventually when she comes back, but they were smart enough also not to take the King's Road. Um, But I think it's really interesting, too, that looking at Long Lake, it could be anywhere, right? Like that description, sure, it's Long Lake and that's what he sees. But it could have been many places. It could be many places around this area. Uh, But in the end, Long Lake is not where Arya is, nor fake Arya at all. It's where Alice would be coming by.
0: Yeah, a much bigger body of water or next to (laughs) one.
1: On a boat? Just kidding, not yet.
0: No, not yet. On an island. The Lonely Island. Um... A war horn is sounded, and they all hold their breath. Collectively, whenever there's a war horn at the wall, they all hold their breath. It only sounds once, though, meaning rangers were returning, not two. They are rangers, but dead rangers. Melisandre commands the wildling to go put his bones on and that she'll return. She tells him to stay out of the limelight, because once they discover the r- dead rangers, seeing any free folk will inflame their anger. Devin returns with her breakfast as well, having waited for the fresh bread. It's, that's actually super cute uh, that he waited for it. He's like, oh, I waited till it was like done. And but it makes no matter because Melisandre thinks, oh, Mance will eat it. And I kind of actually really want this scene of, you know, Devon going in there and scowling and being like, oh, the bread was not for you. But uh, they chose not to adapt that. Anyway, outside the snow falls lightly. Crows are gathered at the gate and they make way for Melisandre and her guard.
1: John Snow is already there with Bowen Marsh and 20 spearmen. 20 good men. A dozen <laughs> archers are placed on the wall as well, to dissuade any attacks from the enemies. The guards on the gate aren’t Queen’s men, but they pass her all the same. The Queen’s men have a good, healthy fear of her, like Morgan and Merrill, who could be pretty formidable when not drunk. She wouldn’t need them today, but she kept guards on her wherever she went to make sure to send that certain message of the trappings of power. When they emerge north of the wall, the snow is falling way heavier. John and his brothers are gathered around the three spears that are eight foot long, made of ash, and impaled with a severed head, beards full of ice. Where their eyes had been, only empty sockets remained, black and bloody holes that stared down in silent accusation. They had been Blackjack Bulwer, Rip, Harry Hal, Rip, and Garth Greyfeather, With the ground so frozen, it would have taken half the night for the free folk to put the spears in the ground. Bowen and Marge thinks they could be watching them still. But John's like, no, ghosts would smell them.
0: For me, I'm just like, oh, so these guys get names, but Hagen's daughter doesn't? It's just, it's just rude.
1: True, but I will say, Blackjack Bulwer existed before. I know this because I told the story about the train robber that I could be related to, and I don't know, remember?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I remember us going over them before in the John chapters, but I don't know. I just still think it's bullshit. (laughs) Oh, no, I agree. Like, give
1: her a fucking name. But I'm just saying, leave Blackjack out of this. We might be related. respect my privacy and my family's privacy at this time
0: okay you know okay you know who doesn't respect it ghost who pisses on the spear that blackjack bulwer's (laughs) head is on it it actually so fucked up actually really rude
1: dolores ed is there and he's like being very eeyore and he's making jokes in the background and it's funny because melisandre doesn't actually know his name at first. she's like ah yes the one they call ed and i'm like it's Dolores and Melisandre. How don't you know that? No, I'm just kidding.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He's like, so you burned the bodies, which is kind of a joke, but also not really a joke. He's like, I don't want them coming back looking for their heads, which I'm like, is that possible? Maybe. Bowen says they shouldn't have sent the Rangers, and John tells him not to pick at that wound right now. John asks Melisandra to walk with him, and she loops her arm with his. Ghost is behind them. Morgan and Merrill are ahead of them, and... So cute. I'm like... She's trying to get that boy into trouble.
1: You know he has stepmommy issues already, so I mean, why not I just know, go full right? milf? Full milf. Melisandre, I'd like to fuck.
0: She's had at least two children over the course of this very series. Uh, we are not the same age as Melisandra. No, we are not. We are not. <laughs> We're not. Everywhere Melisandre walks, the snow begins to drip. Once they move deeper, he asks her, What are the other six? John reveals they've had a raven from Dennis Malister at the Shadow Tower and Free Folk are massing there, maybe to cross the Bridge of Skulls again. Melisandra wonders, are those the skulls that she saw in her vision? Butterfly meme, and tells John what she saw in her vision. Towers by the sea, submerged beneath a black and bloody tide, the heaviest blow will fall there. John wonders... Is it Eastwatch? But Melisandre thinks that the towers in her fire were different. Though that doesn't always matter. The visions aren't always one-to-one.
1: Yeah, she's like, well, it's likely Eastwatch. You know, that's just going to be our best bet. I think it's Eastwatch, so we're going with that. And
0: it could happen whenever. <laughs> so we're going she's with that.
1: She's like, yep, yeah. she's like, also it could happen whenever. It could be tomorrow, today, next month, next year. You know, if you act, we could avert it entirely. <laughs> this sticks out so hard to me because, like... Especially after Aaron coming off the Forsaken, having those talks about the High Towers and the possibility of Euron versus the High Towers—I say possibility, but it's like it's gonna happen in the Winds of Winter. Ninety-nine uh, percent sure you're seeing Old Town, Melisandra. Even the language there, right? The Black and Bloody Tide—it's gonna be Old Town, not Eastwatch. Eastwatch is gonna be fucked up, though. Like, don't get me wrong. Just like Ice Zombies, this is a way different Eldritch problem.
0: I agree. It's definitely Old Town. I like how you put the, you know, if we act now, we can probably stop it. And I'm like, uh, well, that didn't actually work the first few times that you tried that. So. <laughs> I love the conviction,
1: though. I definitely love the conviction behind it, Melisandre. Keep the attitude up. She's really um, good
0: at northern geography now, maybe because she's just kind of been around now and also seeing it in her visions, but apparently not so good at southern Westerosi geography. (laughs) Could recognize Long Lake and east and west there, but uh, not here. Not north from south.
1: She just hasn't spent much time in the Reach, you know? Mm. Not enough time. When they emerge from the wall, the crows at the gate swell to two score. John tells the men who they lost. Melisandre quietly asks him to come to the King's Tower after for more secret vision info, and he gives Ghost to Ed to go to his chambers. She dismisses her guard, he dismisses his, and the snow falls as they move towards the tower. She can feel the mistrust rolling off of him and thinks that he might never love her, but, you know, he'll make use of her. The same as Stannis, right? At first. She danced that dance with him originally, and she thinks that Stannis and Jon have more in common than they'd like to admit. Stannis lived in the shadow of his brothers, like Jon, bastard born, but both were unbelievers. They're both mistrustful, suspicious, they only worship honor, duty. She brings up his sister Arya, and Jon says, I have no- I have no sister. (gasps) He's a brother of the Watch. He cuts off short when they get to Mel's chambers, where the Wildling is within, in the bone armor, a giant's broken skull, a helm behind him. The Lord of Bones grins at him through brown, broken teeth. The ruby on his wrist glimmering, and invites John to share the breakfast. But John tensely declines. Love that guest right, right there. <laughs> share this breakfast <laughs> oh, with John. Oh, that's
0: interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Showing that he is not bad. Like what I'm saying is like, would he have an iPhone? Maybe. The Lord of Bones says he could easily have come and visited John's chambers himself had he wanted to, you know, take care of him. But his guards and windows are a joke, right? Any man could scale that if they've scaled the wall hundreds of times, hint, 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 hint. But there's no reason to kill him. The crows could choose someone worse. He goes on saying John should have sent him with the Rangers, but John's like, You would have just betrayed my men to the Weeper. The Lord of Bones is like, uh I would not have and you know what's funny about betrayals? Your wildling wife, Egret, didn't you betray her? Whoa,
0: deep cuts, deep cuts. Whoa.
1: Literally it was a deep cut. Yeah. Oh, um, the thrust, the thrust even of a spear. The Lord of Bones turns to melisandra and says that he needs horses and spearwives from Molestown to help gain the girl's trust. John's confused and Mel's like, he's going to go get your sister. You can't, but he can.
0: I think it's really interesting that after being sent out on this mission, Mance doesn't come back to be like, hey, that was the wrong girl. Like, that was not Arya. You have shit information. He and the Spearwives actually, like, somehow figure it out. Well, I don't know, not really, because uh, they didn't go to Bravos, but they kind of figure it out. They figure out where un-Arya is, the one that everyone's talking about. I don't know, maybe through gossip or who knows what, and mm-hmm. then they head to Winterfell to go get her and carry it out.
1: It's really like interesting that somehow he got the gossip and went to Winterfell and heard yeah. she was there. I'm guessing he had to have figured that out, and it's super respectful. Like I have so much respect for Mance that he didn't turn around, right? Because he could have. He could have just turned around, but they go get her no matter what, because they know from what they hear, that guy sucks, and they need to go get her, pretty much, is kind of what it seems, right? Like, that must have driven them to go get her. They're like, oh shit, Arya's in the clutches of a villain? That sounds horrible. John will really be happy we're <laughs> saving her then. And, and it's the opposite of how Mel feels about the Free Folk, right? That even though there could be grave danger for them there, Mance and the Spearwives are willing to sacrifice it for John's baby sister.
0: Yeah, and I mean, they do, right? Like, a- as you said, they realize how terrible Ramsay is, and they're like, this guy sucks. Though, I don't know, maybe there's part of it that is kind of like, I don't know, every now and then I'm like, oh, maybe Mance did write the pink letter. Like, maybe the part of the plan was we're trying to succeed in, I don't know, keeping finding said Arya in order to trade for Mance's baby that's not actually his baby. Just just keep heading south, Mance, and I mean, there, you'll you'll eventually reach your kid there. Um, but actually, though, if he heads to Old Town, where this vision actually is... Anyways, John does not like this plan, thinking that Rattleshirt is someone to be mistrusted. He's a rapist, a murderer, and threatens to take his head off himself. And then Mel commands Devon to leave. She's like, I've got a plot reveal. And so she touches her ruby, speaking a word. Both the crow and the wildling hear different words, and neither of them are the words that left her lips. Wisps of light and shadow fade around the wildling, and then it clears. The bones remain, but the widow's peak, the mustache, the chin, the teeth all change and transform. And I don't know, I just think it's so interesting that there's, like, a sound illusion here going on.
1: Yeah, it's changing matter, almost, it seems like, and the way you view matter, right? Like, it changes the reflection and the way your eyes are seeing things, and it's very interesting. And your ears. Woohoo! Intro, Mance Raider. that's who this transforms into. Big reveal! We're all like, "Oh my god, that's why you said the Dornishman's wife." Just kidding. And John's like, "Oh my god, what? She killed you?" And like, "Ha ha ha! No, she didn't. That's the truth. That's the reveal. You're all caught up." The bones help. The bones remember. The strongest glamours are built of such things: a dead man's boots, a hank of hair, a bag of finger bones with whispered words and a prayer. A man's shadow can be drawn forth from such and draped around another like a cloak. The wearer's essence doesn't change, only his seeming. She made it sound a simple thing and easy. They need never know how difficult it had been or how much it had cost her. There was a lesson that Melisandre had learned long before Ashai: The more effortless the sorcery appears, the more men fear the sorcerer.
0: I love this. This is how it ties into the whole, like, men see what they want to see, right? Like, people see the symbols there and they make assumptions about, like, who's there and that's how the glamours work, and also. People think that this line is about Davos with that line about the bag of finger bones, but as folks have pointed out uh, across the internet, including, you know, I've seen it a lot on Reddit, like, Arya actually has a pair of dead man's boots, a night's watchman's, boots and she's someone who's actually learning to use glamour so the the finger bones could be like a red herring yeah what
1: if she used that and when she returned to westeros to get to the wall she could
0: after she gets back on a boat (laughs) oh my god
1: and doing other things with it i guess she could like get in places in bravos maybe that way
0: who knows that's true a lot of things she could be doing with that and i mean with glamours in general right a hank of hair interesting And so it says that they never need to know what it cost her. And I'm just kind of like, so what did it cost her? And we don't know. And again, like, we're starting to see more about how the mechanics of glamour's work in Arya's story. And I think that could be another great way to tie these characters' storylines together, right? If we get the reveal for what it costs in, like, Arya's chapters as opposed to in Melisandre's.
1: Yeah, and once more, I'm loving the idea of, like, The glamour on him. A glamour on a king when you have Aegon, who is the glamour
0: for a king.
1: Like, very
0: mind-blown.
1: And there's more to come for that. Uh, I have another thought, but we'll come back to it. When the flames licked at Rattleshirt at the burning, her ruby had grown so hot at her throat she feared it would burn her. But John had cut that short, killing Mance, quote-unquote, with his arrows, doing her a pretty big favor that he didn't know about. Stannis had been angry, but she was relieved.
0: Yeah, how does it work? Anyway, so Melisandra reminds John that uh, she holds Mance's child hostage. <laughs> and also, Mance owes John his life. And then we end this chapter with, Only his life's blood could pay for his crimes, your laws said. And Stannis Baratheon is not a man to go against the law. But as you said so sagely, the laws of men end at the wall. I told you that the Lord of Light would hear your prayers. You wanted a way to save your little sister and still hold fast to the honor that means so much to you. To the vows you swore before your wooden god? She pointed with a pale finger. There he stands, Lord Snow, Arya's deliverance. A gift from the Lord of Light and me.
1: Oh, seen. Well done. Gene Cozanow himself over here. I'm like, see,
0: Great job, Gene <laughs> um, <Jean> Cozanow. <laughs> yes,
1: I am enjoying Barry too in my in my free time. Okay, yeah, everyone, yeah, that's
0: right. I have to finish. I think. Where are you? I I'm just still... finished season two. Okay, I'm still towards the end of season three, but we can converge.
1: See, perfect. When I get back from my little mini vacation, yeah. So I love the the way this chapter ends is perfect because it perfectly mirrors Elaine too in A Feast yes, for Crows, right? Exactly. Just the beat and the language. So those are your gifts from me, my sweet Sansa. Harry, the air, the eerie. Harry, the eerie, and Winterfell. <laughs> that's worth another kiss now, don't you think? Is the only thing missing there? She did not say that to Jon Snow. Maybe she did. Maybe it's off page, you know? Maybe she's like, that's worth another kiss now, isn't it, Jon Snow? Uh, great language, and though. And then
0: her lips turn to teeth.
1: <laughs> oh my god, dentata. It's really good language, though. I, I like that it matched. It. it was the first thing I thought of when I read it the other day. I was like, "Oh, Littlefinger." It's just the Littlefinger passage.
0: And when you put it explicitly like that, with the ties to like Littlefinger and and Sansa's storyline, I think that you know, with this chapter, we see so much that parallels and and goes well with Varys's storyline as well. And it kind of seems Schemer. like
1: puppeteer. Yeah,
0: I mean, absolutely schemers, right? And and that's absolutely like. Sh- you know, mm-hmm. one of the players of the game who's moving pieces around. And a lot of people associate Varys with Littlefinger, right? As as opposed, they're playing the game against each other, and that's how the two of them kind of see it, too. And in Dance, you start to see a lot of other players come to the forefront, right? Like, the past five books have been sort of, I don't know, Tyrion's training arc of becoming a player, and now he's about to be at the forefront of the series as one. A contender against Littlefinger and Varys. But I think that we should also, as we see this... Consider like Melisandra, She's kind of been slept on as a political player. She is scary. She is also someone doing the same things with her own like
1: yeah royal pawns. I mean, she was a political player this entire chapter. We Absolutely, learned, and we had yes. no clue.
0: Yes, and you've done a great job of highlighting that throughout this chapter. Like she is, she is. She's on the same level as like Littlefinger and Varys, but with magic.
1: She's a stronger player than Cersei. I think that Cersei sees herself having them, and she has plans, like, you see her trying to seduce men in certain ways to get the things she needs or wants, using protection from men in certain ways, but it falls flat for her, where Melisandre actually understands and grasps how to use that. I find that fascinating. And then, of course, the men that are supposed to protect Cersei don't, so um, that's a whole other story. But, yeah, very interesting. And there's something else here, coming back to these ideas of Aegon, very... And then, of course, Mance and Rattleshirt and Arya and Jane. And then, of course, Aegon and the Pisswater Prince. The irony of the baby swaps and Mm -hmm. the people swaps going on here. You have Mance swapped for Rattleshirt. And John before this even happened, he would have no clue that Mance was swapped for Rattleshirt. However, he saved Mance's baby. Flipped it with Sam. Well, with Gilly's baby. With stepdad Sam and Gilly's baby. So... You've already flipped these babies to save them, right? And now Mance is alive, even though you were like, "Oh shit, that's too bad, they did kill King's blood, good thing I sent that kid away, what if they come for him next? So the irony there, you've already sent him away, and then you also have in the background those trappings of power with that rise from Aegon rising as a fake king over the real king, Daenerys. As well as that baby swap with possibly quote unquote pre A Song of Ice and Fire during the rebellion with Aegon and a Piss Water Prince. So who knows how real that is or if it actually happened. Uh-huh. And of course, Jane and Arya and the irony already of them being. Oh, not. yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. That's technically a baby swap, too.
1: Yep. There are major swaps going on here. Four swaps, really, when you look at it in totality. If you count the Danny and Aegon kind of thing going on, hell, make it a fifth one with Danny and John but <laughs> really shake things up. I just find that very fascinating and a very fun element that George is playing with that at the end of this, you're like, oh, shit, wait a second. Yeah. That baby gone. All those babies gone.
0: All oh, those babies gone.
1: Yeah. We'll see if Mance makes it back. We don't think he will. Maybe he won't. I don't know. I don't think he will, but... Uh, I think I, I, he gets at least one other scene. That'd be cool. I'd be into that. I would be hopeful for that. Uh, I... Don't know that I am, but I would be hopeful for it because I just don't think that such a great character should go out that way. So hopefully George does him right. It just
0: feels He's like so a little right. anticlimactic. Like I think that there needs to be one more reveal of this is Mance. I think a lot of people more or less kind of know that Abel the Bard is Mance, but it's not like
1: I mean, I think this is the reveal.
0: I mean, this is the real var- reveal, right? Like, but not oh, but... everyone has pieced together that like the the readers haven't don't all know that Abel. Mm-hmm. is Mance. And I think there just needs to be, like, I don't know, one more scene where it's a little more explicit for that three-fold reveal structure of George's. Uh, and, I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe maybe that happens, or maybe I'm just being wishful. But who are we going
1: to see it through? We'll see. We'll see. I'm just doubtful. I, unfortunately, am doubtful because... Maybe, but the problem is then who do we see it through is my question. Melisandre, maybe, if he returns. We'll find out someday.
0: It could be Melisandre. I mean, like, people are marching on Winterfell, right? Stannis' troops are marching on Winterfell. So I think that it could be, So Asha? Yeah, I think it could be Asha, because we have the Asha excerpt, Mm -hmm. and in the Asha excerpt show, like... Some spoilers, but people who may or may not be re-coinciding with some of these forces, so it could maybe, be Asha.
1: Maybe Asha sent the pink letter.
0: That is another theory that is out there.
1: Well, who hasn't written a theory about a character writing the pink letter? Settle down. They're all Honestly, out there. They're all much, They've yeah. all written it. Yeah. Pick a character. You can find it. I don't know. That's something I haven't considered. You never know. That's an intense-ass chapter, and it's crazy. I think we'll definitely get Melisandre chapters in The Winds of Winter, at least a couple, maybe not a lot, because he doesn't want to overdo it. I mean, this was such an incredible chapter, and having it be a one-off is so powerful. You don't want to overpower how many Melisandre chapters That's you true. have going on at a time, in my opinion. You, you should keep it very lean, it- keep the mystery flowing, at least till the end.
0: And this was also kind of like a you know surprise in the middle of the book. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to blow the mystique of the whole character in the in the chapter, yes. as opposed to, you know, like how Storm opens up and it's suddenly the first POV is, Jamie, we're switching it up mm-hmm. after two books with all these Subtle. Characters. It's subtle.
1: Yeah. The Quentin and the Melisandre were definitely the surprises, I think.
0: For this book? Yeah. And in the Reek. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I knew he'd be back in my heart.
0: I didn't. I was like, that boy's dead.
1: <laughs> well, maybe uh, maybe I'll be wrong about Mance this time. How about that? I mean,
0: who knows? It's anyone's Game of Thrones, Chloe, until, until we get that book.
1: My god, anyone's Game of Thrones. Well, I have had a wonderful time discussing this fucking magical chapter, mystical chapter, powerful, sexy, fiery chapter with you. No, really. It's dark, it's sexy, it's passionate, it's a little freaky it's i don't know it's good it's good though it's raw well thanks for listening everyone we will be back with Arya one in a game of thrones
0: yeah and again are you ready and no even if you are or you're not you can keep up with when those happen by following us on social media at twitter.com slash girls gone canon that's c-a-n-o-n or you can send us an email with your thoughts on, I don't know, stuff at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Hate our voices?
1: And you make sure that you're subscribed to us on a podcast streaming platform near you, one that's your favorite, whether that's Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, uh, all the other ones. You know where we are. You're probably listening on one right now. Make sure you're subscribed.
0: And of course, somewhere that you can definitely always find us is on our Patreon at patreon.com slash canon, where, again, patrons in the $5 tier and above, the Stranger tier and up, get access to special bonus episodes, and last month's was a very special episode. It was The Forsaken. Yes,
1: and also patrons in the Thunder tier and above get special access to a private Discord server. It rocks. It has the best people in it. And... Not just that, but we do a monthly brunch slash happy hour. This month's July's 2023 will be held July 22nd, Saturday, 3 to 5 p.m. ET, Eliana time. So uh, be there, be square. You know, we hope to see you. As always, I've been one of your hosts, Chloe.
0: And I've been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Eyes you'll shut forever. (laughs) God. (sighs) (laughs) Goodbye. Bye.